the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good day, good day, good day. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I want to talk about some of the, the basics of investing in money and do it in the way only that I can do it. I think people make mistakes. I think people make it more difficult than they can. I think people make mistakes by looking for a Buddha or a guru. And typically, those journeys within, the hero journey... Where, you know, a young man pulls a sword out of a rock and he goes to save his people. Or a young man goes off to the west to find some sort of medicinal herb to come back and bring his people great power. I get it. I get that you want to be a hero. But did you know that in investing, in getting towards retirement, of getting to age 60 with a million dollars plus liquid investments... No investment points, no brownie points are awarded for difficulty or complexity. Simple strategies typically lead to outstanding returns. Can you grasp that? Can you dig that, man? That you don't have to be a hero, that you don't have to listen to 15 different gurus, that you are the guru? Whoa! I'm the guru? Yes, you're the guru. Now, what you can do along the way is is find people that, that are wise, that don't complicate things for you. That give you a good piece of advice. Hey, don't go out and spend $30,000 on a wedding. Trust me. 50% chance it ain't going to work. On top of that, horrible investment. That $30,000 can become $60,000 in your 30s. That $60,000 can become $120,000 in your 40s. That $120,000 can become $240,000 in your 50s. That can become half a million dollars by the time you retire. All so that you can have really crappy chicken and maybe some sort of cold seafood dish. So that you can have, you know, a drink tickets that you hand out. Or that you can have an open bar because you're that kind of cool person. I don't have a want to have a wedding if it's going to be a, you know, people don't get trashed. I want people to get trashed at my wedding. I want them to have a good time. So you don't get points for being complex. You get points for being simple. You need to, you know, start looking at your budget and you start looking at your life. Simple strategies, maxing out your 401k. You're not paying federal taxes on it. Woo! You're not paying taxes. And I'm not going to jail for saying that. 
It grows tax-free. You don't pay capital gains taxes. Woohoo! And I'm not going to jail for that? The IRS isn't going to come shut me down because you're maxing out your 401k, your 403b, or 457? And then later in life, you're hopefully taking it out at a slower rate than you're earning it now. Now you're in your peak earning years. In your retirement, you're like, yeah. So that's a simple strategy. Investing in good index funds that are low cost, Russell 2000, Wilshire 5000, SP 500. Um, Vanguard's got some great international funds. I, I don't know what 401k you're in, but it's not that difficult to find low cost, diversified exposure. If it's difficult for you, there's a chance you were dropped as a baby. It's not that difficult. And I apologize to all dropped babies. Someone's going to write a letter to the management. My sister was dropped. Mark Twain once said about truth, he said, A lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is putting on its shoes. That's the problem with investing. People think it's complex, and it's really not. Warren Buffett once once said, How can I become a better investor? And there's a stack of annual reports in front of him. He said, read 500 pages a day like this. I read about 500 pages a day. My eyeballs hurt by the end of the day. There's days that I don't. There's days that I listen to conference calls. There's days that I listen to you know, economic forecasts. That's how knowledge works, as Warren Buffett said. It builds up. It's like compound interest. All you can do, you know, I guarantee, you know, no one's going to read that 500 pages. Like, I'm not smarter than you. I outwork you. You may have a better tookish than me because you outwork me. You definitely have a better six-pack abs than me, but I have definitely better investment knowledge than you. So there's two things that make an economy grow, population and productivity. With those two things, everything else is a function of those two drivers. So that's why we look at the millennials so fascinating at this point in time. Because they're the next engine of our economy, and they're not having a lot of kids. And babies equal do-re-mi. They equal the cash register. They equal the economy moving. You need population to get the economy going. You need productivity to get more out of that. If Americans had as many babies from 2007 to 2014 as they did from 2000 to 2007, there would be 2.3 million more kids alive today. That's going to affect the economy for decades to come. Because, like, uh, everyone that I know has an iPhone. These 2.3 million kids that weren't born in the last seven years, they're not going to have iPhones because they weren't born. How can we have an economy if we don't have iPhones? So we need a baby boom. Or something along those lines. Now, again, I'm not hollering panic. I'm not going to holler panic. It's not what I do. In no way, shape, or form am I that guy. Panic, 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 panic. But it's you do study demographics, and you do look at the parts of the world that are adding more population than us. You do look at parts of the population, world population that have more kids in college than us. Kids in college, yes, there's a lot of kids in college doing poetry. And you, yes, I want to put a, a nail gun in their foot. Yes. Like, stop it! We don't need college poets. You haven't been alive but, like, two years intelligently. Don't tell me about your life experiences. So where was I? Oh, we need college-educated kids because college-educated kids, except for the poetry majors, they create – they work in jobs, and jobs create taxes. It's like the one tax that we almost all can agree on. Like, you you earn money 
you should pay money. Now, we can't get together on the same page about, like, if you die. Like, didn't we once go to war with a country over double taxation without representation? Like, you paid money when you earned it, and now you're going to pay money when you're dead? Like, keep me on life support. That's the reason not to die. That's the reason to keep people well into their 150s. So among Americans aged 18 to 64, the average number of doctor visits between, uh, decreased from 4.8 in 2001 to 3.9 in 2010. Now, what's interesting about that is there's demographic numbers where we're like, America's getting older. They're going to go to the health care and the doctor more. But actually, as we got older, we went less. Because of a weak economy and the growing cost of medicine, we're like, eh, 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 I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Just give me the five minutes. I'll be okay. So you can't extrapolate behavior, even for something as vital as seeing a doctor, indefinitely. Behaviors change. Since last July, elderly Chinese can now sue their children who don't visit them often enough. Dealing with an aging population calls for drastic measures. I hate aging populations because we don't tax their income because they're not working. They take Social Security. They take Medicaid. They take Medi-Cal. They take any handout you can give them. They go through my trash and take bottles out of it. So, you know, dealing with old people is not fun. Every now and then they get in a car and drive off a of Santa Monica Pier and kill people. Like, you shouldn't be driving. I have a right to drive. I fought for this country. Um, you shouldn't be paying nothing in taxes just because you lived here for 40, 50 years. Prop 13, unfair to the community that wants police protection, wants fire protection, that wants good schools. Anyway, drastic measures on aging of population. Whew. That's going to be something the world has to deal with. So maybe we don't want to have more kids. But no, no, we have to have more kids to support those old people. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Feedback, welcome. Rob at robblack.com, Rob at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. When radio or television gets tired of me and kicks me in the tookish, you'll find me at robblack.com. You'll find that I'll come up with new and innovative projects, whether they be video and audio-driven. So just know that. Um, there will be 7 to 10 recessions over the next 50 years. So if you're 40 years old, by the time you hit 90, there will be 7 to 10 recessions. Recessions are not a bad word. 
Recessions are not the R word. We're not going to say it's a dirty word. Recessions are a great thing. To me, what recessions do is they curb excesses. They curb enthusiasm. So knowing that they're coming, you should feel delighted and pleased. Voting for a president. Okay, wait, wait. Why do I like recessions? Because they curb enthusiasm. In 2000, when I moved to the Bay Area, I was a good-looking young man. I had a high-paying job, but I would spent the last 10 years creating that high-paying job. I was 30-something. So people who were 20 were getting out of college, and they had six-figure jobs, and they had done nothing other than have a pulse, and they're showing up for the dot-com explosion at the right time at the right place. So I settled on competing with, like, younger men. Like, I had done everything I could to build my resume to be, like, a good provider. You know, per- perfectly blue eyes. I was, like, chiseled. I was the ideal. And then, like, oh, you're kidding me. The dot-com era has come and has made me irrelevant. I'm a dinosaur at 30 with six figures. Two years later, crash, car crash, crash on. Imagine car crash out. Ah, the theater of the mind, radio. Um, and suddenly I was a little bit more attractive. I pulled a Playboy model. Sweet! Like, in a good economy, in a great economy, somebody who's very solid, eh, there's other choices. In a tough economy, suddenly that solid looks a little bit better. A lot of people vote for the president to help the economy. Do you know how much influence the president has over the economy? Almost none. It's Congress. Just so you know. Just so you know. Did, you, did, did I just get a fist bump? I did get a fist bump. Thank you, Mr. President. So those of you who are like, I want to vote for change. You are m- mentally feeble. I've been living it. And or mentally dull. Which is worse, feeble or dull? You know, those are actually um, a part of the whole ranking of uh, IQ. Part of the IQ test back in like the 40s, they would actually label you feeble, dull, moron. Can you imagine getting a moron title? Woo! Maybe it's a step above dunce, but not by a lot. Um, couple things. There was a guy named Pascal, and he was one of those wise people who said wise things. And I've always said this: men, when you're looking to pick up, when you're looking to marry. Women, when you're looking to marry a man, this is the test for the, the opposite sex. All man's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. If your loved one, if your sugar booger, if your betrothed cannot sit in a room quietly and be okay reading a book, it ain't going to work. You are setting yourself up for misery. A lot of academic studies have shown those that trade stocks a lot earn the lowest returns. So just being able to sit on your butt in a good index fund, giving yourself a little bit of time, it'll stop a lot of misery from happening. Same thing in love. I know you're saying you are a stock guru. You are the money man, the money Buddha. But you're also the love doctor. Ladies, call the show. I'm the love doctor. 800-516-1220. Do you want to have the most special Valentine's Day ever? I have the secrets. And for just 
$19.99 over three easy payments. I will share those secrets with you. I'm the Love Doctor. Call now, 800-516-1220. Okay, my one piece of love advice is don't fight over money. Learn how to talk over money. Also, a back rub solves almost every problem. Okay? And I've been with significant others who are like, they're having like a tough day. And I'll just give a little back rub and here's what I hear. Little back rub solves all the problems. You don't have to actually listen to what they're saying. Either sex. I know you're saying, you're an amazing love doctor. Thank you very much. However much money you think you're going to need for retirement, you need to times it by two. Now you're close to reality. For those of you who listen to real estate radio shows or television shows or podcasts or those of you who like, I know there's a real estate investment club. You know what my opinion of a real estate investment club is? Cue the vomit sound. Oh, we don't have a vomit sound. Okay. Theater of the mind. Here's my opinion of real estate investment clubs. Let's all get together. Kimba, ya, and hold hands and talk about how great real estate is. I'm going to bring in some special speakers to talk to you who happen to be masquerading as experts, even though what they really are are real estate cheerleaders who happen to work in the industry, either as brokers or lenders or developers. And all they're here for is to get money from you, a transaction from you. Because if they were really good at investing, they wouldn't be talking to the average Joe public. Just so you know, they would be you know, presenting to venture capitalists, they wouldn't be looking for your little contribution. For many, a house is the largest liability masquerading as a safe asset. I know a lot of people that learn that the hard way. And you know what? If you get a report card from age 20 to 60 on you know your financial readiness for age 60 to 100, they all earn deaths because they thought they had hit that safe home run. The single best three-year period to own stocks, listen to this, was the Great Depression. When people were jumping out of buildings and killing themselves, the three best years right there. Not far behind it was 2009, after the economy struggled in utter ruin and the stock market crashed. When you're down 40 50%, that's a crash. And the best time to be buying and owning, right there. There's no, I'm not going to say there's no downside at that point in time. The biggest returns begin when most people think the biggest losses are inevitable. Or as Mike Tyson once said, he was asked to say the word inevitable, and he said, inedible. No, no, it's, it's not inedible. It's inevitable. Inedible. Inedible? No, inevitable. One more time, the biggest returns begin when most people think the biggest losses are inevitable. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220,
You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. Joining me now, Elvis Levan, Bay Area Entrepreneurial. Um, coffee business, company called Artis Coffee in Berkeley, California. How are you, Elvis? I'm doing well, Rob. How about yourself? Good. Tell us a little bit about your your company that you're here to uh, kind of promote a little bit. Sure, sure. So Artis Coffee is uh, one year old as of December. Um, we do something a little bit different. You go into most coffee shops, you can get a drink to go. But what we really focus on is roasting coffee in store. So a lot of people don't know coffee is a fruit. We take them through that and roast them the freshest pound of coffee live while they wait. I didn't know coffee was a fruit. They, we're all learning something this morning. Yeah, it's not that. I look at it like raspberry and blueberries as a fruit, but coffee bean would seem like it would break my teeth. Yeah, it would. I mean, if you chewed on it, yeah. So the bean itself is the, the seed of the cherry, the coffee cherry. Okay, well put, because I once uh, told a story about drinking lemur butt coffee, where these <laughs> lemur monkeys would eat the cherry, and they'd poop out the, the, uh, the coffee bean, and incredibly rare, only 100 gallons a year, and it was like 60 bucks for a cup of coffee, but I thought it was totally worth it. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. It's a really unique experience. Um, I've had that coffee a couple times. I can't say I've ever tasted anything like it in the entire world, so if anyone's curious, I'd just say go for it. Okay, good. Now, you start a coffee company, and it's fresh roasted. That's that's obviously going to sell really, really well in the Bay Area. Um, we love our coffee. We hate Starbucks. We have you know kind of that promotional idea. We hate Microsoft. We hate the big evil empires. Um, mm-hmm. What was your background to, to get into this business? Sure, um, it was kind of like a long path. You know, uh, it started out. Um, I was actually working in e-commerce. I was selling motorcycle parts and accessories online. Um, and I really discovered that business could be creative and that you could try things and, you know, when you were doing well, you could get, like, really great instant results. And so that led me back to school um, where I got a MBA, Master's in Business Administration, and I met a guy who had an idea about this coffee company that he wanted to start. Um, and it was a really exciting idea because I'm a huge coffee fan myself. And so um, when he asked me if I wanted to be a part of that project, I was really happy to jump on board. So you and a buddy come up with an idea. Let's say you're in his apartment. How do you take that next step? Do you make a contract relationship with him on a napkin? Do you start writing up a business plan? What's that next step from great idea to business? Sure. Um, you know, there are a lot of really small steps, and I think that's the thing. Um, I know a lot of people really want to start their own business, and I definitely recommend it. It's really exciting. Um, I think kind of the next step after, oh, I have this really great idea, um, you don't need to jump into contracts or anything right away because you want to figure out, you know, whether your idea is going to be something that's really going to resonate with people. So I would say, you know, for anybody who has an idea about a business they want, if that's like a baked good that they think would sell really well in a grocery store, I would say the next step after having that really great idea is going out and telling everybody you know about it to see if it really resonates with them. Okay. And did you do taste tests? Because, like, honestly, my palate on coffee is way different than yours. I'm not Folgers, but I don't think I'd recognize the difference between – and I have friends that are like, ooh, pizza is so much better than Starbucks. Ooh, this is so much better. 
would I notice the difference between artiste coffee and, you know, uh, like a Starbucks? Yeah, totally. Um, people do every day. And, you know, your question about taste test, yeah, we did a ton. Um, we got a really small, like, hobby roaster, and we started roasting coffee. We were roasting coffee for months before, you know, we even had a space for the shop. So, you know, it definitely pays off to get going and to start focusing on kind of what your thing is going to be. And for us, that flavor was really important. And there's nothing like freshness when it comes to things. A lot of people now, you know, they want to know everything about the food they eat, the produce they buy. They want to know if it's organic. They want to know where it's from. And they want it fresh. And so uh, we're, we're really just trying to do that for coffee. You've got one store right now in Berkeley. How's it doing? It's doing really well. Um, so uh, we just had our first year. Um, obviously, we found a really great fit for the market. Um, so... We're about 40% above where we thought we would be a year ago. Profitable? Profitable, yeah. Profitable, um, covering expenses from day one. Okay. How about living wages? Have you run into that argument yet with the whole California, Northern California? Biggest cost of business to you has to be labor, I would imagine. Oh, it is. Um, And I think any business owner would probably tell you that. Um, A lot of them view it as a big expense, but also it's an investment because your business runs on your people. Um, So where we are in Berkeley... It has one of the higher minimum wages in the state. Okay. Uh, I think it just went up to 11.50, and it'll be going up to 12. I think later this year. Um, but we were already above that in terms of the change, um, because sort of our philosophy when starting out was, you know, if we offer a wage where people can afford to get to work, you know, when they get there, they're going to be, you know, much happier, and they'll be able to focus, you know, on other things. They won't be worried about, you know, how they're going to get home or you know, whether or not they'll make rent at the end of the month. Nine out of ten restaurants fail in the first year, and then the next three years after that, nine out of ten fail again. It's very, very difficult to stay in business, and yet you've started with a profitable model year one. Congratulations on that. Thank you. When looking to expansion, is it easy because you've got a profitable business model, or are you still finding to get money either a loan or a venture capitalist? Are you finding that expansion cost difficult, or is it easier to navigate? Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, everything's challenging. Uh, going from one unit to two units, it's like running a totally different business. So we've really been trying to focus on uh, making sure that we're paying attention to the right thing. So making sure that, you know, our first unit continues to operate profitably while going after the second unit. Um, and that's something I think to go back to your earlier question about, you know, what should people think about when starting a business? is when you're planning, is just to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. You know, so watching things like your labor costs. And then that'll also give you a really good idea of how much you need to raise to really cover those expenses. Um, Because there's kind of a saying in business, it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much for anything you do. Now, you're operating in two of the more expensive areas in the country, Berkeley, and you're expanding into three stores with Artis Coffee into San Francisco. What's your time frame of opening into San Francisco? Sure. Um, so the time frame of opening into San Francisco, um, we're only committed uh, to a time frame for one location. We want to take one at a time. We want to make sure that we do each one right. So that first one we're looking to open in late March, early April. And where's the location? Yeah, that's in Hayes Valley on Octavia Street. Okay. Um, really great neighborhood. Um, lots of food concepts are going in there, uh, so it's just a really great place if you want to spend an evening out. you got the SF Jazz Center there. Now, 
the negative on this potentially is that, you know, in the last, a lot of blue collar people kind of pushed out and being replaced with young millionaires from Google and Facebook. But we've also seen that with the restaurants where the rents are being raised to the point that, you know, some great old school things like Carnelian Room, they're gone. Um, how are you managing that rent cost or that potential space cost? Because it has to be astronomical. It is astronomical. Um, in San Francisco, you're going to pay more for real estate than basically anywhere in the country outside of New York. And for us, you know, we have to think about that in terms of our business model. Okay. Uh, rent is your biggest expense after labor here in the Bay Area, so it's really significant. For us, we're managing that by looking at different size locations, so a smaller location. Um, even though a smaller location is going to cost more to rent in San Francisco than anywhere else, by lowering that monthly expense, you can help better set yourself up for success. Speaking with Elvis Levan, he's the runs and founder of Artiste Coffee in Berkeley. A couple more coming into San Francisco in the next couple years. It may take a little bit more than a while, but he's going to get there. Tell us a little bit about the current coffee market. Like We hear about funguses and we hear about Brazil and... Educate us as much as you can. Sure. So I was down in Brazil uh, last year um, during the period where they're about to go into the harvest, and they've had an incredible drought just like we have in California, and that really affects coffee production. So Brazil's largest coffee producer in the world is producing less coffee this year than they had in many previous years, which is definitely affecting the market we found that uh, price increases in terms of coffee have gone up 25% just in the last year. That changes day-to-day, though, uh, depending on the market. So can you explain why our parents were so into Folgers and, like, we are so much more refined than our parental generation? It has to do with access, partly. Nobody ever wants, like, a bad product, but we're conditioned to expect whatever we're told, you know, to a degree – is what we're supposed to be drinking. So that Folgers, Maxwell House, that's really what we call the first wave of coffee. That's, you know, coffee becomes an American staple because, you know, we threw all the tea in the harbor in Boston. Right. And, you know, it's patriotic a little bit, and also it's just comforting, you know. You build a habit. You say, I want my coffee in the morning, and if it doesn't taste like Folgers, then you wonder what you're drinking, uh, some people. Real quick, in 10 seconds or less, what's the third wave of coffee coming? The third wave of coffee is what we have now, which is a focus on gourmet and treating coffee more as an artisanal product like wine rather than a commodity. You rock. Good luck to you. It's Elvis Lieban, founder of Artiste Coffee in Berkeley. You should check it out. The smells are unbelievable. Fresh roasted in the store coffee. And again, it is kind of like wine now. Um, and I totally agree with it. And like the whole lemur butt coffee thing, not a joke. There's some high-end coffee that will change the way you think of coffee. Again, it's Elvis Liban with Artis Coffee in Berkeley. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. 
So little Billy Ocean bringing us back. Be patient with us. She dashed by me and painted on jeans. All the heads turned because she was in the dream. In the blink of an eye, I knew. Her number and her name. Yeah, she said I was a tiger she wanted to tame. Can't be in Queen. Now we're sharing the same dream. And your heart, hearts beat just as one. No more love on the run. Okay, so Caribbean Queen. Many, many years ago, there was a company called Caribou Coffee. And whenever I talk about Caribou Coffee, I'd go, Caribou and Coffee? Or I'd, I'd do something like, you know, on the radio, how I get kind of goofy on times? Caribou and Queen? Um, we just talk coffee. And when you talk coffee, you know, Starbucks, obviously a monster investment. And there was that trend from Folgers Coffee Point 1.0 to craft brewed coffee to now it's kind of like, you know, fantastic high-end um, a delicacy, so to speak. So, and I don't quite say that quite right, but there was also a company called Pete's Coffee. Now, Pete's Coffee, as you know, is different than Starbucks. A lot of people in the fight of Pete's Coffee versus Starbucks, people would say, I like Pete's more. Starbucks burns their coffee so you get addicted to it. It, has a, it ruins your, like, what have you. So Pete's Coffee and Tea, they enjoy the daily grind. Company owns and operates 200 coffee shops in California and half a dozen other states, offering Java lovers about 25 types of whole bean and fresh ground coffee, 15 plus blends. Now, what's interesting to note about this is that they were publicly traded for a while, and I used to talk to the CEO because he was out of either Berkeley or Emeryville, and he'd come on my TV show, and I'm like, why do you only have four locations? And he's like, well, we're going to go to 16. Now he's at 200. But during the period of time he was publicly traded, um, you could see that it was a little bit too much. It's publicly traded, you're, you know, you're, the screws are turned on you. How come you didn't open 400 more locations? Or why are you just now getting into Chicago 14 years later? You should have been in Chicago long ago because it's cold in Chicago. And people, when they're cold, they drink coffee. But Pete's office does tea, and they, they handcraft it. It's, it's, it's quite unique. Now, Caribou and Coffee, so I made a lot of money on Pete's Coffee as a publicly traded stock because I saw the trend of Coffee 2.0 really come. I wanted a we're not Starbucks play. So then when Caribou Coffee came out, I'm like, Caribou Coffee. Now, that's going to be the next Pete's, and Pete's going to be the next Starbucks. Company serves hot Joe to the Java herd. One more time. Caribou Coffee. Company serves hot Joe to the Java herd. Caribou operates 470 coffee houses and 200 franchises. They were founded in 1992 and they came public. And I lost money with Caribou Coffee. Do you know why? Wait, wait, okay. Okay, cute girl in the back with your arm up. I'll pick you. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid. It's, it, you, could, you could answer this. You got this. Why did I lose money with Caribou Coffee and not with Pete's Coffee? Because Caribou Coffee made their their coffee stores to look like mountain lodges. So they were expensive. There was a, a big head of an animal. And some people don't want that. Now, I've thought about opening a ski school halfway between here and Tahoe. That's kind of a lodge that you can go and get drunk at while your kids are learning to ski kind of thing. And kind of have the whole coffee lodge and fake snow kind of thing going. And I, I think it's a good idea. But Caribou Coffee, they franchised, and again, they went kind of international. But when you went in their stores, you'd say, like, 
Whoa! I'm at the Disneyland of coffee stores for Caribou. But you go into Pete's Coffee and you're like, man, these wooden chairs look really comfortable. Which one do you think costs more to build? Okay, I'm going to pick the hot brunette in the back. Hot brunette in the back. Oh, you don't have to be scared. This is an easy one. So which, which store costs more money to open and has more risk? Mm, it's Caribou Coffee. Good answer. Good answer. So I thought Pete's was going to be just like Caribou, but Pete's had a, a leaner cost structure. Starbucks kind of, you know, Starbucks kind of made some mistakes along the way. Remember when they'd like sell music and they wanted to be a music label and they want to distribute movies and they're free Wi-Fi, no free Wi-Fi. Like, uh, so talking with, you know, some of the young hand roasters now where you go in the store and they roast it in front of you. It's a fruit. Everyone knows it's a fruit. Coffee comes from a cherry or something like that. And I'm going to stop talking because now I've lost all my knowledge in the last 15 minutes. But anyway, the lesson there is you have to really look at investments and compare them to each other. You may love Google, but who are you comparing Google to? Facebook? That's not fair. Google to Yahoo? Maybe a little bit more fair when you start stripping out things like YouTube. But see, Google's got a lot of action going on. And at some point in time, when they break up the company, if they break up the company, maybe we'll value YouTube a lot higher because they don't really have a lot of competition there. Maybe. And then you'd compare Google search to Yahoo search and you'd say Google search deserves a premium. And then you say, what else has Google got? Email? They probably have more Gmail users than Yahoo users. So you get the idea on where this is going. And, you know, everyone's trying to get into shopping and same-day delivery. But investing is about learning to compare. I compare MasterCard to Visa a little bit to American Express. But the better comparison is MasterCard to Visa, not MasterCard to Bank of America. Even though they both are financial companies, they're not the same. I'll compare Bank of America to Wells Fargo. You don't compare Intel to Qualcomm, although that would be a great merger. You compare Intel to who's number two in semiconductors. Ah, so then you're looking at their market. Like Learning to invest is learning to compare, even if it's about coffee stores. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Twitter me, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. A lot of great investment downloads at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.